From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, look deeply into my eyes. Sometimes focal lamina cribros are defect presented as a shallow irregularity in the anterior surface of the lamina cribrosa. First this. You're enjoying As Seen From Here, the landmark podcast from the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, launched way back in February of 2005. Why not enjoy some of the other ASCRS offerings, including the ASCRS Symposium in Congress, the meeting to end all meetings in ophthalmology, or the ASCRS Winter Update, where you can meet one-on-one with some of ophthalmology's most important leaders in a beautiful setting, or see the future of ophthalmology at iSpaceMD, the global ophthalmic classroom brought to you by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. If you're a resident, check out openophthalmology.com, an extensive lecture series on clinical optics. And remember, residents and fellows can join the ASCRS at no cost. But please, don't do any of these things until you've enjoyed this episode of As Seen From Here. I would argue that the clinical management of glaucoma is therapy through inference. We monitor intraocular pressure, but that is a measurement of a causative factor and not a measurement of the pathologic process itself. We follow the patient's visual fields, but this is merely a result of the pathology and again, not a measurement of the process. Even scanning laser ophthalmoscopy and ocular coherence tomography provide data about the anterior of the optic nerve head, whereas it is widely agreed that the damage in glaucoma occurs further posteriorly. Yet, we have no clinical data about this portion of the optic nerve, at least in living patients. That is, until now. I'm delighted to welcome Sean Park as my guest today to discuss in vivo imaging in actual live patients of the laminar and retrolaminar optic nerve head. The insights gathered will be of significant clinical importance in the management of glaucoma going forward. We're going to be talking about OCT technologies. Let's start from first principles. How does OCT work and what's the difference between time and spectral domain? The OCT, which is optical coherence tomography, is an optical analog of ultrasound imaging. It's an interferometric technique and typically employing near-infrared light. So the optical beam is directed at the tissue and a small portion of this light is reflected from the tissue. And at the same time, another optical beam is directed at the reference mirror and the reflected light is also collected. So the combination of the reflected light from the sample arm and the reference light from the reference arm gives rise to the interference pattern. And uh, by scanning the mirror in the reference arm, a reflectivity profile of the sample, sample tissue 
can be obtained to generate an OCT image. That's a principle of OCT. And you talked about the time domain versus spectral domain. Um, so this is the time what time domain the time domain OCT's principle. And spectral domain has a little bit different principle. Instead of uh, moving the reference mirror, the reference mirror is not moved in spectral domain OCT. But instead of that, the OCT signal is acquired by using a spectrometer as a detector or by varying the narrow band wavelength of the uh, light source in time. So spectral domain OCT is sometimes called as frequency, do frequency domain OCT because the frequency of the light changes. I can understand from a spatial standpoint how the machine might measure um, what what the phase of the the reflected beam is as opposed to the reference beam, and I can understand further that depending upon the refractive index of the medium, since that is a function of the speed of the light going through that medium, whether something how how the phase would would shift. But for the spectral units, is it that the reflected beam is actually coming back as a, as a different color? Um, no. Um, so to analyze the reflected light, it moves the reference mirror. So analyzes uh, the, the signal of one, one point in the tissue um, by moving the reference arm. But in spectral domain OCT, a broader, broader wavelength light is given to the light, to the tissue, the target tissue, and then the reflected light is analyzed at a time, and then it automatically um, segments the reflected light into pieces. Oh, by its frequency. Right. Is the, is the data that's obtained with the two similar? I mean, do, do, are, are, the, are the images... Uh, once they're, they're processed, similar for the, 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 the two sorts? It's of very similar, um, but the acquisition, acquisition time is very different. Spectral domain is much faster because a broader band uh, wavelength, broader band light is given to the target at a time, not by pieces by piece. So the acquisition time is much uh, faster. So that's one uh, big advantage of spectral domain OCT over time domain OCT. And the second advantage is um, it has a higher resolution because um, the increased, because the signal to noise ratio is much smaller than the time domain OCT. And what is EDI? EDI uh, stands for Enhanced Depth Imaging. So EDI OCT is one of the technique uh, to um, increase the resolution and image quality of the deeper portion of the target tissue. So you can push the OCT device a little bit closer to the, the patient's eye, and then the zero plane, zero reference plane moves further back. So the focus moves back so that you can uh, visualize better the deeper tissue. So uh, from a from a hardware standpoint, though, it, it's the same machine. I mean, it's not that there's some some hardware exactly modification. right. Cool. But uh, one one thing to mention is 
if you move the zero uh, delay, zero reference plane to uh, more posteriorly, then the image will be inverted. And but that's not a problem because you export the image and then invert it again. But recently, um, some OCT devices such as uh, Heidelberg Spectralis in includes an EDI mode as a built-in software, so so that you can move the zero point to a more posteriorly, but you can still have not non-inverted, non-flipped image. This technique can image the lamina cribrosa. Yes. What role does the lamina cribrosa play in glaucoma? So the lamina cribrosa is a mesh-like structure in the scleral canal um, of the optic nerve head composed of overlapping and branching connective tissue collagen beams. And first, the lamina cribrosa serves as a conduit for retinal ganglion cell axons and the retinal blood vessels through the scleral canal. That is, the collagen beams of the lamina cribrosa form pores through which these axon bundles and the vessels pass so that they can be connected to the brain and to the systemic circulation, respectively. And second, the lamina cribrosa serves as a supporting structure of the retinal ganglion cell axons. The collagen beams of the lamina cribrosa are coated with astrocytes. And astrocytes provide structural and cellular support functions to the retinal ganglion cell axons. And third, the lamina cribrosa supplies blood to the retinal ganglion cell axons. Each collagen beam has a capillary in it, and optic nerve tissue at the optic nerve head can be divided into a prelaminar, a laminar, and retrolaminar uh, regions. And the capillary bed within the collagen beams of the lamina cribrosa is the only source of bloodstream to the laminar to the laminar portion of the nerve tissue. So therefore, theoretically, when the part of the laminar tissue is damaged, then the retinal ganglion cell axon lose their uh, structural, cellular, and metabolic support. Nerve fiber layer thickness, nerve rim, cup to disc ratio, beta zone, parapapillary atrophy. These are all important parameters for evaluating the optic nerve head. What are the important factors for evaluating the lamina cribrosa? At first, the position of the lamina cribrosa is important in glaucoma. So it's known that the lamina cribrosa undergoes posterior bowing in glaucoma. So I measured the depth of the lamina cribrosa from the level of Brooks membrane and in normalized and glaucomized and compared between the two groups and demonstrated that the lamina cribrosa is more posteriorly uh, located in glaucomized than in normalized. So this work has been presented in Arvo uh, last May. And this laminar position becomes regionally different in eyes with glaucoma. For example, in eyes with advanced visual field loss in the superior hemifield, but no visual field loss in the inferior hemifield. Then if you measure the position or the depth of the lamina cribrosa, the in, in the inferior half of the optic disc of the lamina cribrosa, it's much deeper than the normal 
Uh, oh, that's interesting. So the so the lamina can bow in parts. It's it's not right. the, the, just that the, the, the it's whole structure not like completely from. separated, but of of course the superior lamina cribrosa is slightly back bowed, but inferior lamina cribrosa is more uh, posteriorly bowed than the superior lamina cribrosa compared to the normal eye in eyes with superior hemifield loss. What question did this study seek to answer, Sean? Uh, previously, EDI-OCT was used in imaging the outer retina and choroid, but not the optic nerve head. So as a glaucoma specialist, I wanted to see whether this image technique is working and it can be applicable to um, imaging the optic nerve head. So uh, this study assessed the usefulness of this EDI-OCT technique in evaluating the deeper tissue deeper microstructures of the optic nerve head and peripapillary area. Sean, let me get you to describe the design of your study. So this is a prospective cross-sectional study performed at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary. And we con consecutively enrolled glaucoma patients with a range of optic disc and visual field abnormalities and performed full ophth ophthalmology examinations plus EDI-OCT of the optic nerve head. We obtained nearly 200 um, EDI-OCT scans per eye, which means 97 serial horizontal scans and 97 serial vertical scans, covering the whole, the entire optic nerve head area. So all these images, obtained images, were carefully reviewed for the visibility and morphologic features of various deep optic nerve head structures. For the purpose of this study, how was glaucoma defined? Glaucoma was defined using both the structural and functional aspects. It was defined by the presence of characteristic glaucoma's optic disc damage, such as localized or uh, diffuse neuroretinal rim thinning or retinal nerve fiber layer defect associated with corresponding visual field damage. Here, glaucoma's visual field defect was def defined as glaucoma hemifield re test results outside normal limits on at least two consecutive visual field tests or the presence of at least three contiguous test points within the same hemifield on the pattern deviation plot at p-value less than 0 .1, uh, 0.01 with at least one point at p-value less than 0 0.005. Aside from the lamina cribrosa, what other structures did you image? So since I covered a wide area at and around the optic nerve head using EDIOCT, I thought I, I expected that I would be able to observe uh, various deep structures at and around the optic nerve head. And indeed, I could detect, uh, observe the vascular structures, including short posterior ciliary artery, ciliar retinal artery and retinal, central retinal artery and central retinal vein, and their uh, tributaries and branches. And also, I uh, could observe peripapillary choroid and sclera, which uh, cannot be observed using just regular OCT. So, and uh, there are pathologies such as intracorridor cavitation or extreme thinning of the sclera associated with high myopia were observed. And third, additionally, um, sub subarachnoid space around the optic nerve 
was visible, but mostly in eyes with high myopia and tilted disc. Um, this, the dimension of subarachnoid space around the optic nerve head varied considerably among eyes. Some eyes showed only a hint of a narrow, very narrow columnar space, and others, mostly high myopic eyes with tilted disc, showed a wide space, wide subarachnoid space filled with CSF, and I could even observe subarachnoid trabecula. There, there's a lot that listeners to the interview are uh, going to, to, to miss by not seeing the, the graphics in the paper. I encourage people to look at, at it. There are a couple of images that you show in the paper that demonstrate focal loss of the lamina. What, what does that mean? The focal loss of the lamina cribrosa, that was one of the most interesting findings. Um, focal loss of laminar tissue may be congenital defect in the lamina cribrosa or maybe acquired loss of tissue, laminar tissue associated with glaucoma. So I investigated this finding further and recently found out that this focal lamina cribrosa defect is actually a very common finding in glaucoma size and has a variety of sizes and shapes. Sometimes focal lamina cribrosa defect presented as a shallow irregularity in the anterior surface of the lamina cribrosa with a diameter of even like less than uh, 100 micrometers. But there are also very deep focal defects in the lamina cribrosa, especially near the insertion area. And sometimes they are larger than several hundred microns. So the space, the shape of uh, focal lamina cribrosa defects also varied considerably. I found shallow indentation, moth-eaten type defect, or step-like depression, abrupt depression of the laminar tissue, and punched out uh, full thickness type hole, and also uh, partial disinsertion or complete disinsertion of the lamina cribrosa. It seems to me, well, it is true, that, that, that each time there's a technology that can image something that we dearly want to, we find other things that, you know, that, that, it's, that it's showing us that uh, we didn't know were there, and we have to figure out what they mean and whether they matter. Um, were you able to assess whether the vasculature was normal in these patients? So far, we have uh, not analyzed the various features of the vasculature in depth, its size, its shape, its course, etc. Also, this investigation needs OCT scans with a very narrow intervals in between because vas vasculature is very uh, small in caliber, smaller, small in caliber. So, and that was unavailable when I started initiated this study. But now, um, with upgraded software we can obtain EDI-OCT scans up to almost every 10 micrometers. So we are currently using this upgraded imaging software for evaluating not only the, uh, the vasculature, but also the laminar insertion area in detail. The data that you're gathering here are structural data. 
Can you make inferences about the function, the the, the dysfunction, uh, either on uh, from from the standpoint of the uh, nerve tissue or the the vascular tissue from these structural data? That's a very good question. Um, answer is yes. The focal lamina cribrosa defects that I just mentioned previously are very closely related with glaucomatous uh, structural and functional damage, uh, such as neuroretinal rim loss, uh, RNFL defect, or visual field defect. So these uh, lamina cribrosa uh, defects are spatially correspond to all those well-known glaucomatous defects, glaucomatous structural and functional loss. So therefore, if you find a focal lamina cribrosa defect in EDIOCT images in your patient, then you can expect the function of retinal ganglion cells passing through that area of the lamina cribrosa may be impaired. Also, I f could frequently see a slight dimpling or a depression of the prelaminar tissue just immediately overlying the focal lamina cribrosa defect. I think this may be considered as a sign of retinal ganglion cell axonal loss. So regard and you also mentioned uh, vascular dysfunction, but regarding vascular dysfunction, we will be able to answer this question short uh, uh, in more detail in the future because we are currently doing a collaborative EDIOCT study with neuroophthalmology department on non-arthritic anterior ischemic optic neuropathies. How long does an EDIOCT scan take? Um, it depends on the amount of information and the quality of scans you need to obtain. Um, using the protocol described in this paper, it took approximately 10 to 20 minutes per patient, which means 5 to 10 minutes per eye. But if the patient blinks frequently or has difficulty in looking at one target for a long time, it may take more. And this is actually quite a long time for patients and is, is exhausting. It's not easy for patients to stare at one target for like several minutes. Um, so therefore we had to explain the whole protocol to the patient in detail and make the patients fully understood and use artificial tear frequently and have a, a resting period between uh, the vertical scan and horizontal scan or between the right eye and left eye um, to improve the patient cooperation. And in this paper, I used 20 frames, which means the OCT device averaged 20 um, B-scans to generate one good B-scan. So this improves the image quality by increasing uh, the signal-to-noise ratio. But if you don't, if you do not need this much color, this uh, good quality of images, you can decrease slightly decrease the number of frames to 15 or to 10 then it will take much shorter than probably less than 10 minutes. Given the uh, length of time it takes to acquire one of these scans, 
Are you using EDI OCT in your clinical practice? Yes. Um, currently, first, as, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I found that the focal lamina cribrosa defects are closely associated with structural and functional damage in glaucoma. Moreover, I assessed the relationship between the presence of focal lamina cribrosa defect and glaucomatous visual field progression. And the results were very encouraging and submitted to ARVO meeting next year. Based on these results for patients with very advanced glaucoma, those with parafoveal scotoma, threatening fixation, those with severe uh, focal rim notching or acquired pitot-adopting nerve, and those with suspected or definite visual field progression, I'm obtaining EDIOCT in clinical practice to see the structural change in the lamina cribrosa. Second, we uh, also found that EDIOCT is more sensitive in detecting optic nerve hydrosin than optic disc photography or ultrasound B scan and regular uh, spectral domain OCT. So EDIOCT can detect even subclinical drusen material at the optic nerve head in uh, seemingly normal eyes. So therefore, it's very helpful in discriminating just physiological uh, small crowded optic nerve from the optic nerve head drusen cases. So in addition to ultrasound B scan, I always obtain EDIOCT for eyes with obvious or suspected optic nerve head drusen uh, cases. Um, I think this enhanced depth imaging OCT method is still uh, used only in, in laboratory. Um, I said I'm using in my clinical practice, uh, but, but it's not for all glaucoma patients. It's for selected glaucoma patients and optic nerve hydrosome patients. But I'm very positive in um, uh, about the, uh, the future of this imaging technology because the, the imaging acquisition speed is getting much faster and faster and the resolution and the penetrating depth of OCT beam is also uh, very rapidly advancing. So I think in the near future, this technology uh, can be uh, routinely used in all glaucoma practice and uh, in a primary uh, care comprehensive ophthalmology clinic. Sean Park, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Sung Chul Park is assistant professor of ophthalmology at the New York Medical College and Peter Crowley research scientist and head of the Moses Safra Advanced OCT Research Laboratory at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary in New York, New York. His paper, Enhanced Depth Imaging, Optical Coherence Tomography of Deep Optic Nerve Complex Structures in Glaucoma, appears in the October 2011 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Park or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jayoungmd at gmail.com. 
A Seed From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.